Shalom and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elia Malm at Highland Park, New Jersey. Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shemet. Joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chester, Salman Sheikh, the Day School of Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky in New York City. We are starting the Torah again. We are starting the Torah again. Let's just pause and think about that. That is such an amazing statement because it's an amazing Parsha. We're back to regular Parshas. We're back to the weekly Parsha, Breshit, the beginning. This, this is where it all begins. Breshit, <laughs> Elohim, Ed the Shemaim, Ed Aretz. What was the Aretz? Yeah. You know, I, I, we didn't talk about this, but I have to share this with you. You know, one of the themes that, that I was thinking about over Rosh Hashanah and Kippur and, and the holidays is you got to live inside the text. So I had this meditative vision, okay? that I was literally inside the text. Literally, like, I shrunk myself down, and I saw myself next to the words, okay? That the words themselves were big monuments, big, huge blocks. Like, you know, the the love, the love sculpture? And in, and, and in the Israel Museum, mm-hmm. it's Ava. Okay, that's quite a large sculpture. And, you, you know, it's, but it's human size. Imagine that scaled up, you know, large and you're looking at and so what i'm saying is that the text is monumental and if we just shrink ourselves down and look at the the text you know in its in its monumental structure it's breathtaking it's overwhelming did he Kafka do this already did he okay good <laughs> metamorphosis did he no, do he so, a so bug, not a, the not large a bit the large bit says it all it says this is where it's all starting the Torah begins with a bet. There's so many midrashim, barishit, bara, nice alliteration. And we're all inside this text because we're all little, in, small, small so, creatures. As long oh. as we're inside the text, one of the things that strikes me is how do we actually visualize this opening chapter? Yeah, good, good point. It's very difficult to really figure out what it's actually trying to say. And... Um, it makes one wonder. So what what do you see? Well, what I'm struck by is that apparently in the beginning there's water and darkness. Yeah. And somehow that becomes differentiated. But it makes me wonder why God does certain things. So what does it mean when he separates the night, the light from the dark and the day from the night? I mean, once you have light, is the expectation that there might not be any dark anymore? Well, of course sure. it's dark. Of sure. course it's dark because it's because um, Have you ever been in a cave where there's no light? Have you ever had that experience? That's yeah, my everyday experience when I'm in bed. <laughs> but the the uh but first of all, one thing that you're saying, Bear, which we want to put an emphasis on this, is that the problem that will sort of emerge from philosophy in the Middle Ages, creation ex nihilo, the Bible, at, at, the, at the, the best thing you can say is the Bible doesn't address that question. If you want to argue that there's creation ex nihilo, creation after complete non-existence, suddenly there is existence from ayin to yesh, as as the you know medievals will, will say, from non-being to being. The best you can say is the Bible doesn't address it, but the more obvious thing you can say is that's totally not what the Bible thinks. The Bible thinks is a primordial darkness and a primordial ocean, and 
and God moves through the primordial darkness and turns it into light. And God moves, hovers, you know, the God is fluttering above the great ocean and turns it into something meaningful. So the Bible, like, how do you visualize it? It was, the, the, the world was complete wild and waste. It was unformed. It was, it, 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 it was raw material and a scary raw material, dark, deep. And then what God does in, in Genesis 1, and this is like the style of Genesis 1, is God is the God who imposes order thanks to God's will. God just says, let there be light. And so maybe that's the experience. I mean, the, the emotional reaction to the first verses of Genesis is a kind of fear, awe. I mean, again, I, you know, I've been inside caves, dark caves, where you can't see in front of you. It's total, total darkness. Uh, and in total darkness, you can't, uh, differentiate between anything you can't you can't see water and you you are likely t- if you make the wrong step and there's a pool of water in front of you and it's deep you're going to drown so there's a primordial fear here and um the the moment that the story breaks is with god's word he or that that's really it that's you know stop stop the press is there that's the i don't want to say that's the whole torah but Yehi or the headline. That's the Yehi. To bring you back to your journalism career, Johnny. <laughs> Yehi is the headline. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Let there be. Uh, are, let are, you be. Sing, are you gonna sing Paul McCartney? I'm not gonna sing it, but I just think that it is the 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 force that unleashes things in the universe is let there be, and it's a word, and it's a word that comes out of divine will. And so what you said, Jeremy, that this chapter is all about order from chaos, but this the order from chaos, the ordering force is God's desire to, I mean, God doesn't have to make anything. So what do you make of the Ruach Elohim? Yeah. So we have this deep, this deep blackness. And the spirit of God or the wind of God is just above it. So is that independent of God or is it a part of God? It's all that black, black scene. It's it's one black painting in your imagination. My so God mind. is of the world, but not of the world. It's all there. And and takes one little pierce of light to break everything. It's uh, you know, I don't want to make too much out of the connection between the the Big Bang theory and this, but I know there's a book by Danny Matt that that makes the connection. And you know, there there's something to be said for everything emerging from one moment. You know, this moment where everything collapses on itself, and it's just this infinitesimally small, 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 you know, little seed, primordial seed that is one to the negative who knows how much. And that's what everything comes from. And all the energy that's released into the universe that's still in the process of being cooled even now, right? And that we're all, you know, extensions of that. Now they, of course, you know, the 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 Torah doesn't know from this kind of cos- cosmology, but it knows of a different cosmology that, 
Everything comes into existence because, because God wants it to be. And God wants a certain order. And that this the the darkness that's there is something that God has to kind of shape and separate and, and move for. So we move through, you know, all these stages of creation. And on the on the on the theme of of energy or on the theme of imposing, not only is God saying, let there, let there, let there, let there be, um, but when you come to day five and day six and day seven, you have a new concept really introduced into the whole creation story, which is that God uh creates and then God blesses or God vayivarech otam Elohim. I'm mean, chapter one, verse twenty-two, where God creates the animals. He blesses them and says, Be fruitful and multiply. And let the fill fill the sea, the water and the seas, and let the birds spread over the land. Um, But the idea that God blesses and vayivarech, and I'm not exactly sure I understand what that word means, even though it's a word that is so important in the Bible. It's important in Judaism. It's important in our lives. And and what is how would you define Vayavarech? So what I would say is that this is an argument against theism, the idea of God as a creator who then removes himself from the world. Because I think the force of Vayavarech is that even after creation, God is still involved with God's creatures. All of them. In the land, in the sea, and in the air. Okay. And life is not going to continue without God. And maybe what one way to understand the descent of the generations is that over those first ten generations, the people removed themselves from God. God pledged he would not remove himself, but they removed themselves. And hence the world had to start over again by bringing it back to the water. There's a, I believe that this... I'm, the phrase is so elegant that I think that it's, it's probably medieval Hebrew and not actually the Baal Shem Tov, but it might be the Baal Shem Tov. There's a perception of the koach ha-po'el benifav, that the, there's, a, there's a, you can feel the presence of the actor in what is created. And and that's gets to, to Barry's description, which I think is quite quite true. Um a religious person, you know, feels that sense that God is not not only or or in another capitalistic language, God is both misovev kol almin, making the world turn, or memale kol almin filling the world up. Both of those things I think emerge out of this chapter in the the bracha part. If you, if you ask me, like, what's the etymology of bracha or baruch? I, I think it's like related to the word berach, ni, that that it is the the awe-inspiring figure who inspires people to bend the knee. But obviously, that's not the end of the meaning of the word because God is the one who is baruch, and yet God is giving bracha would mean something like that power that makes you bend the knee and worship and and be reverent towards the divine i'm going to sh- give you some of that i'm going to i'm going to give you some some of the wonderfulness and and hope that you too will experience bracha 
Well, I heard a creative to... etymology of bracha, which is that I think in if you take a, a shoot from a vine, and that's lavrich. That's to get to grab. In a way that you know, a bracha is the transfer, transfer. So using that idea that there's something being transferred here, that the the blessing that God gives, I almost want to say, you know, I'd, I'd like to have a more sophisticated analogy, but but this is the on switch. This is like I'm. I'm I'm at the ceremonial start of the of the whole thing, the whole enterprise, and I'm pressing the button and I'm I'm giving it the force. I'm giving it a push to start. I'm I'm getting I'm starting life off, and and by by igniting life, it's the ignition. It's the ignition of life that comes from divine will and divine desire, divine love. Um, and what's so fascinating is that it, it applies to life, to the life of the animals. It applies to humans, and then, of course, in the seventh day, Vayavarech Elohim et Yom Hashvi'i, Vayikadesh Oto, which is chapter two, verse three. God blesses the seventh day and sanctifies it. Kivot Shavat Mikol because God stopped, ceased from His work on that day of all the things that god does and so this seventh day it's it's like the time has a built-in rhythm i read vayivarech on the seventh day as in the same sense as it's the pressing of a button it's the ignition switch that sets the rhythm the rhythm of life is reproduction everybody you live you have a full life and you reproduce that's the rhythm of life the rhythm of time is time starts on day one, comes to its cycle uh, conclusion on day seven, and then starts again. And that's Vayavarech. That's my sermon. Pretty good. Yashir Koach. Okay, so having having created the, the entire universe now, we come to chapter two, verse four, and we get a second iteration of this. So chapter... the. The, the first iteration of creation ends with the first part of chapter 2, verse 4. This is the story of the heavens and the earth as they were created. End of story. Now why the story ends in the middle of a verse, I'll have to leave for another time. But then the next story starts. And, and I love telling stories and I have such memories, wonderful memories of the you know, Pagoda at Caprama and the mm-hmm. secret story spot. And the second the second rendition is more storytelling. Although the first you think, you think that this you think that Eilat Holdon Hashamayim Baha'aretz Behibaram is the end of the first bit? Oh, I, I, I the, the little and research. That's, a common, that's what all the translators scholarship. They, they put they put a fermata a little, a little pause in the middle of the verse, and they start the second. They start from the that place in the verse. They start a new paragraph. Okay, I, I don't think that that is impossible, but okay. but I would say that, um, but I would say that first of all, our describal traditions place a paragraph mark at the end of verse three. Period. New paragraph and the a less something something formula. 
I think usually, I mean, I could look it up and I could be proven wrong, but I think the Ela formula means, and the and what's about to come is the new thing. So Ela told Baram would mean, and now here begins the story of heaven and earth. Well, I, think, I think what, the way that they prove this is by saying, well, it, the first verse, one, one is Hashamayim Beta'aretz, Eta Shamayim Beta'aretz, and here it's Hashamayim Beta'aretz. So we have a nice linkage in with with four uh, a to the beginning to one one. You okay, could, I could I could see that. I, okay, I, and then I, and I then four b starts with Biyomasot Adonai Elohim Eretz V'Shamayim, the inversion, and then we're focusing on land versus sky. So we are now going to be looking at the earth. And all of the, the vegetation of the field is not yet in the aretz. It's not yet in the earth. No, no, no grass has sprouted yet. Because God has not yet caused it to rain. So our focus is on aretz. And so there is a shift going on. And this, again, you know, I feel different. I feel emotionally different reading chapter 2, 4, 8 on than I do feeling chapter 1. So I'm going to ask my therapists here, why? Why do I feel so different? (laughs) Because it's a totally different scope. Uh, The one is, you know, seen from the Hubble telescope. and, And the one is like a physics lesson. And you're learning the the orderly, you know, procession of one thing from another. And this this next one is you're getting in there in the mud. Like, wh- how did God make humanity in in the first one? God said, "Let's create the human being in the divine image." God. And you know, mutenu, who the we is. Let let us make man in our image. Who the we is is a is an interesting question still to be. You know, you, you work on that one later, but. This one's totally different. Um, God takes, forms the human, crafts the human, sculpts the human from the dust of the earth, and blows into his nostrils the breath of life. And the human being becomes a living, a living creature. You are the first one is is all order, divine fiat. God just says this one is got God's fingers in the dirt, and we are part of the dirt. And yet, God gives us this this uh, what do they call it? Uh, what the what the the nine one one guys do? The, uh, <laughs> the C- CPR CPR gives gives us the CPR defibrillator, right? Yeah, dum, dum. and. Oh. and Dirt comes to life. I would. This is pure storytelling. Pure. So, pure, I just want to say one so, thing to add here. I want to just want to say it's like I, I, you know, in in being animated as a storyteller. This, this is this is the script, right? Because you are being God. You know, as you tell the story, you're saying this mysterious, mysterious thing happened where a person turned from a clump of clay. To an animated being by just a breath. The original inspiration. Yes. 
You're my soul and so, my heart inspiration. This story in chapter two presents the human being at the center, which is part of the reason why I think it resonates with you, Elliot. Sure. <laughs> you've been known to like to be the center of Absolutely. <laughs> let's, let's, let's bring it on. Bring it yeah. on. <laughs> but the other thing is that the, this curious image that God fashions the human being and then breathe into him means that the human being is both apart from God, but has part of God within. And that is very powerful. That's, you have to feel good about that. Yeah, got it. Quite, quite true. Quite true. The Ramban on that line is, is so brilliant. I, I'm forgetting the exact Hebrew phrasing. Um, well, I'll, I'll look it up as long as I've got the wonders of uh, the wonders of the computer. Before my before my very eyes here, uh, Ramban, give it to me in Hebrew, please. Um, um, uh, well, I'm losing the phrase. As uh, as you're looking, uh, okay, go ahead. Can't help but notice the the beautiful poetry of that. Nishmat Chayim. And that your breath is the connecting thing. That, you know, within the whole meditation world, um, we we are focused on breathing. Breathing is the the meditative exercise, you know, par excellence. That's what you do when you meditate. You really, really focus on your breath, you and, breathe. and and um, you know, if you want to be very spiritual about it, you can say, "I'm trying to connect to my first breath. I'm trying to connect to my last breath. I'm trying to connect with breath, and and imagining with inhalation and exhalation, things going in and things going out. You know, beautiful light coming in and darkness going out. I suppose. Did you find it? No, I didn't. But it's, what's, it's, what's, the, the basic idea is that um, is that wh whoever shares breath with another, if one person breathes into the lungs of another, um, it's from the deepest part of their self. Sure. That they give that. So the divine has infused the human soul with something deep with from within divinity, and so that breath, um, the 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 Ramban, being a medieval guy, he thinks that's how you get a soul. That that, that Adam got a soul thanks to the breath of, of the divine. All right, pick your pick your story. I'll I'll, I'll I will uh, raise the topic that uh, Barry mentioned uh, in a pre conversation, which was, you know, isn't it odd that uh, that God brings all of the animals to be named by Adam? And that God names Adam Adam uh, from Adama, and it's it's not the height of creativity. <laughs> you would think God would be a little more creative with his naming, like George or Irving. You know, <laughs> you know, that was my grandfather Irving. But God calls the first creature Adam because he was made from Adama. As they say in Canada, Adam. Adam. <laughs> um, so, so uh, it's a uh, it's this is a cabalistic little maneuver 
um, Aleph stands for the Alufo Shalolam. The, the Aleph stands for the, the chieftain of the world, the, the cosmic Aleph. And with the cosmic Aleph, then it's a human being. Without, it's just dumb. It's just a bag of blood. Um, but the presence of the Aleph turns the bag of blood into a human being in the divine image. Nice, nice. Well, what did you mean by the question, Barry, when you asked the question? Well, it just is kind of striking. We praise God as this creative force in the world, but, you know, I, I was saying before the show that in this, after we get past chapter one, God seems a little bit tentative. Like he's not quite sure what he's doing. Right? He brings the animals for Adam to name, and yet he can't come up with a very good name for Adam himself. Well, how about, how about, I mean, I think it is fair to say that God is also kind of learning and, and, and dealing with mistakes. But how about, and I think this would generally be a good characteristic of rabbinic Judaism, good characterization of the attitudes of rabbinic Judaism. He's inviting Adam to join the process, right? Um, okay, I'm going to call you Earthling, and let me see, let me see what you come up with, and you come up with, you know, cheetah and uh, and walrus, and and by the way, Woman. I am the walrus. <laughs> you are the Eggman, and um, and 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 you know, maybe the the supreme one is, you know, Isha. You know, flesh, born my bone, flesh of my flesh, and he call you woman because this one was taken from. I mean, it's not a feminist story here. We don't have to have to evaluate on those on those grounds right in a second. But uh, but that's like a supreme act of naming too, because even the human being is is engaged in the naming of human beings. Well, is is Adam simply replicating what God does? You know, it's a simple Adam. You are Adam because you are taken from Adama. You are Isha because you are taken from Ish. I and mean, then, and then, why is Kain Kain? Kaniti Isha. Kaniti Isha Tadunai. This this right. woman will also be part of. It. She will name an individual child. I mean, Adam. First of all, there are parts of these. Uh, and if you if you look closely throughout this passage. Um, and JPS, actually, the JPS translation, which appears in our Eitz Chaim, you know, Humashim, maybe most of our people, if they're in synagogue, are singing Eitz Chaim. Um, many times, I would say probably most times, Adam receives the, the definite article Ha-Adam, and JPS will rigorously translate it as the human. And sometimes there's not Ha-Adam, it's not the Adam, it's just Adam, and that seems like a personal name. So I would say most of the time in these chapters, most of the time in these chapters, um, Adam refers to a species, not a person's name. At one point it says, you know, like, uh, in, I think it's in chapter five, I think, and called their name Adam, which clearly means that both the male and the female are in the species human, not the name of the male human is Adam. Interesting. Is there is there any um, particular verse or idea in the remainder of the parsha, as we have just a couple of remaining minutes, that you, you may want to just gloss on? Anything that you you want to think about? Anyone? Do you want to give our 
our listeners or loyal people? Well, for me, for me, the two of the three times that the word Salam Elohim, image of God, will appear in the entire Bible is Genesis one, Genesis five, and Genesis nine. The next one will be next week. Mm-hmm. All before Adam, all before Abraham shows up. It's not about Jewish people. It's about human beings. Salam Elohim is is a characteristic of the human animal, um, and at a time where uh, where we have all too much, like the, the the dynamics of Jews are special. We belong to the Jewish people. Absolutely true. Universality. All human beings are part of a great human family. Also, absolutely true. Uh, I think this is a, a good reminder to readjust this away. Barry, anything to leave us with for for Brashit? Just off the top of your head, thinking of... Oh, I guess, you know, as I said earlier, this idea that very quickly God becomes disenchanted with his creation. Something has gone serious wrong, so seriously wrong that it can't even be stated outright what it might have been. But by the time we get to Noah, who is supposed to bring such great comfort, the world is on on its last legs, so to speak. Yeah, and and I was struck. You know, I, it never occurred to me, not quite sure why, that the flood is an attempt to bring back the tohu vavohu as it is described. But where mm-hmm. is God in this? At this point, God is not merachah ruach Elohim lo merachah at alamayim. The spirit of God is not hovering above the water. The I- ark is on the water. There's so many ways to to read the text and so many strategies for reading the text. I would suggest one one strategy is read read the questions. Read you know, God God asks a few very very pointed questions in this parsha. Uh, first one being Ayaka, right? Where Good are one. you? Uh, and Mihigidlacha, uh, Ma Sita, what did you do? May who told you? Um, and then. Course, moving to um the chapter four with Cain and Abel. Where is your brother? Measita, what did you do? Um You know, the the sound of your brother's blood is crying. So so you know, the you can read questions in so many different ways. Questions, of course, as to elicit information or mostly to elicit response. And this is a God who wants response from from people asking questions. You know, I, I, as teachers, I, you you may have had the experience. We all have had the experience where you ask a question and you get complete silence. Oh no! Has that ever happened to you? Where you stand in front of a group of people and you ask a question, and there's that you know one beat, two beat, three Mississippi, four, and it's. <laughs> There's tremendous tension in that moment, you know, before the answer. And what has to happen? Barry, you're the you're you you're dealing with this daily. Well, I was thinking, you know, the great tragedy is one that happens for an entire period. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so one of the funny things is the teacher is supposed to be the adult, so supposedly they can wait out the student. But yeah. in real life, that doesn't always happen, where sometimes this the teacher will break first and say something rather than wait for the silence to become unbearable. Um, but notice the word you use. It's break. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. It's exactly that. It's the tension. There's too much yeah. tension. You know, I want to ask you, Elliot, a question. 
you you, you described that the tension filled moments, and you said, you know, one Mississippi. Is that what they say? Is that what we say in Canada? We say by Mississippi because there's a Mississippi River yeah. in Ontario. Oh, there is a Mississippi River. Because uh, what, what's what's the town where? Where Ramakant, Mississauga, right? It's not Mississauga. It's uh, it's near Bracebridge or other. But Miss, Mississauga area. is a place, right? Mississauga is a place, but there is one Mississauga River. In fact, my glasses are still in the Mississippi River because yeah. on a canoe trip when I was like 13 years old, I la- I lost my glasses in the Mississippi River in Ontario, and that's where we're going to end this story. <laughs> Because Elliot has to go look for his glass. <laughs> <laughs> when I was 14 years old in the Mississippi River in Ontario, Canada, we want to thank our viewers and listeners. You're loyal to us, and we so, so appreciate that. You don't know how much it means to us. I have, we have people, literally, who are so religious about this show, they can't do without it. And that really touches our hearts. We're so grateful and honored to be able to start the Torah off with you again for another year of great Parsha talk. So looking forward to this, we want to say first, have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbat, and we'll see you next week on the next edition of Parsha talk. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.